to lift up the name of Jesus today. How many of you are just glad to be here? I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be here. We're going to get started in our, uh, our third part of our series. We have an exciting series started in uh, the book of Ephesians, and we're so glad that we get the opportunity to be able to break the bread of life once again, and so glad to see you guys. I'm going to start uh, with a brief, a brief prayer, and we're going to go ahead and continue. Please keep those people in mind who have been setting up uh, and needing prayer that were on prayer lists. Um, the Bible says that the effectual fervent prayers of the righteous, they availeth much, and we do believe that they will avail. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you break your bread of life for us. Speak to us. Your servants listen. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Well, amen. We've been in a series on Ephesians talking about the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is what some people would consider the high water mark of, of the New Testament. In other words, that Ephesians takes a lot of what Romans has and puts it basically in a shorter version and it gives us all the good nuggets in about six chapters. But those chapters, although um, they may not be the longest book, they are definitely filled uh, with a lot of information and a lot of things. Uh, and I want to just quickly recap some of the things that we have gotten that we may not have known that we have gotten. But the first part of Ephesians talks about the blessings that uh, we have received. Um, and by the Father, he has given us three major blessings. Number one, uh, that uh, we have been chosen. Uh, and number two is that we have been adopted. And number three, we have been accepted. Uh, Paul talks about the fact that God has chosen us for himself. We did not choose him. No man seeks God. No, not one. And that God has chosen us. That's enough to be excited about, to know that God is in the business of loving his people and, and reaching out to those people. Not only that, but we have been adopted. Not only is the blessing for Israel, but the blessing is for us too, that we've been adopted into the family of God and we have been accepted. If you see in the first parts of Ephesians in chapter one, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit, the first part you see through the father is that we've been chosen, adopted, and accepted. And then he goes on to talk about what's happened for us through the son, which is Jesus Christ, that we have been redeemed, that we have been forgiven, and that we've been given a revelation of the will of God through Christ Jesus, that God has sent his son to die for us. And he's also told us that the spirit has, number one, sealed us until the day of redemption, and he's given as a down payment on all of our future promises that are to come, the ones that may not be done down here, but there are some that are still yet to come. So chapter one covers a gambit of heavy topics. And I know we took two chapters or two uh, study series rather to go through uh, just the first chapter of Ephesians. But I want to break down to you basically what we've been talking about. Number one is election. Each one of these is a heavy topic and could be an, a study by itself. Um, but for sake of time, we're going to continue to go forward. It talks about election. It talks about adoption. It talks about redemption. It even talks about dispensation. It even talks about forgiveness and predestination, the will of God being sealed with the spirit. And the one that is my favorite is that not only that Christ is our inheritance, but we are his. 
In other words, that we are a blessing. Christ redeemed and purchased us with his blood, and so we are his inheritance, and that is a wonderful thing to know. So, as we get into Ephesians chapter 2, there are some things we need to know. If you went to the book of Genesis, you would see a similar parallel. You would see the earth plunged into chaos, and all of a sudden the Bible says the earth was without form and the earth was void, and then the Spirit of God intervenes and creates something out of nothing. We call it, as theologians, the imago uh, ex nihilo, which means from nothing God created everything. God began to say, let there be. And in this same state, Paul gives a parallel to the Ephesians to let them know where we were. And we're going to look at the first 10 verses of the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And the first thing I want to read, we're going to go ahead and just read those out if you could. You can read with me if you like. As for you, you were dead in transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them that at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature serving and deserving of wrath, rather. But because of his great love and mercy, God, who is rich in mercy, I'm so glad that he is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, we're going to talk about three main parts that this is basically broken down into, and the first part is very simple. Everybody say, what we were. What we were. What we were is where Paul tells us what we were, and, and this is why we needed it. And we get to the good part at the end, but the first thing that we need to know is that we were what? Dead in sin. We were dead in sin. What does death mean? Death simply means separation. So many times when we think of death, the first thing we think of is what we most equate with death, which is a physical death. In other words, our bodies being separated from our spirit. But believe it or not, although we talk about the sickness of sin, did you know that you were born dead? Jesus says in John to Nicodemus, marvel not, ye must be what? Born again. Why must you be born again? Because your spirit is dead. You were born dead in sin. We were born enemies of God. We were born the children of disobedience. He starts that phrase in chapter 2, verse 1, with the, with the word and, which means it's a continuation of the thought. And he says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And I, I think about that. I don't know about you, but I have thought about that. As you become the life, sometimes you don't know you're dead until you come alive. 
the dead don't know that they're dead, but we are dead without Christ. In other words, we are separated from God. We don't have God's presence uh, in, in our lives. But when we become saved, we invite the presence of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us, and he's letting us know. And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to this world. Now, there's a lot of stuff in those phrases, and there's some powerful things in those phrases that we need to take the time and kind of stop and unpack. Number one, he's saying that we were disobedient. Everybody say disobedient. Disobedient, disobedient is a consistently consistent worldly conformed pattern. You hear Paul speaking of it this way. He says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be you what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why do I have to renew my mind? Because my mind in its natural state is antagonistic towards God. It's the, it wants to serve and please its own flesh. So Paul says in Romans 12 and 2 that I, want, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is holy and acceptable to God that we lived in this flesh every day. We followed the course of the world. We followed the world's pattern. And we are encouraged to change this course of action by rejecting the world's influence and rebooting to God's programming. In other words, God wants to reboot us. I, I, my undergrad is in computer information systems. And one of the main things that they told us is when a computer is messed up, don't go through a bunch of diagnostics and all those things first. The first thing you do, does anybody know what you do? You just you turn it off and you turn it back on because when you turn it off and turn it back on, it resets itself and it rewipes and starts back with the right programming and the right software. And we were born with a sin nature on the inside of us. And when we give ourselves to God, we are alive in Christ and Christ gives us a reboot. He says that you were following the prince of power of the air. Now, that is a powerful word that if you look in the book of Matthew and other places, you will see that sometimes when you're talking about dark forces, Jesus will equate it to birds. The prince of the power of the air is simply Satan. His name is Lucifer. Satan is a description of him, which means that he is the adversary and he is the prince of the power of the air. In other words, he is saying that we were yielded and we have willingly yielded naturally to Satan's influence. We allowed his structures, his philosophies. The Bible says he's the father of what? Lies. He was a liar from the beginning, so we have allowed ourselves to believe the lie. Somebody said, don't believe the hype. But we do it all the time. The prince of the power of the air. I often think of the airwaves, communication. How did he get that lie out? It's through communication. And many times we submit ourselves to lies unwillingly and unknowingly. Uh, think of it. When we turn on our normal news channels, no matter what your news take is, uh, whether you like CNN or Fox News, whatever the case may be, all of them have an agenda and all of them skew the news to their favor to give their narrative of what they want you to see. It is purposeful misinformation. Where does misinformation come from? The father of what? So we have to be careful of the agendas of other people trying to feed us misinformation because it can cause us to make a bad step. Where do we see this? The Bible says that a third of the stars of heaven, a third of the angels in heaven, they fell from heaven. The angels lost their, their royal estate. Why did they lose that place? Because they trusted in the misinformation of the enemy. So we must be careful that we don't allow all the philosophies of the world, the thoughts and views of the enemy to dominate our lives, our thoughts 
thoughts and our behavior, because Satan is the father of lies, he uses media, he uses movies, he uses information, uh, all sorts of things to influence us. Now, I know we talk about sacred versus secular. That is actually us. Uh, uh, Socrates or Plato, one of those people, there is no sacred or secular. I know we talk about sacred music versus secular music. There's no such thing. God has redeemed all things. All things are unto what? Him. Which means that in every part of our life, we give God glory. And when we begin to categorize sacred versus secular, what we begin to do is in our mind, psychologically, we say, I can enjoy this part of life. But when I get over here to the church, this is sacred. No, the entire part of your life is sacred. What you watch at home is worship. What you listen to in the conversations that you have is worship. But the Bible says that we were naturally the children of disobedience, which means that we were born in a bad state and a bad condition. And so we have to be careful of those influences. And, and because Satan is willing, if we are willing to disrupt us and to divert us from God's plan. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying that's where you were. Not only that, but our natural condition and disposition was sin. In verse 3, it says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. Now, it's important that we get a note of that. How many is all? All means what? All. Everybody say all means all. Why is it important for all to mean all? Because sometimes when we've been saved for a little while, we forget that we were part of that all. <laughs> Have you ever done that? You, it's easy for you to see the mud on somebody else because you forget that one day you were in that condition. And we talked about that Sunday, that there's a difference between commission and condition. And oftentimes we try to become right with God by, the, by committing less sin or being a bet, better person. But the, tr the truth of the matter is that no matter how good you are, you're not good enough to get into heaven because it was never about your commission. It was about your condition and the wages of sin is death and we were born in a depraved state which means that without Christ we were doomed so it's important for us to know he says that we were all lived in our passions in our flesh carrying out of the desires of the body we see Paul looking at this train of thought when he said that if a brother is overtaken in a fault you which are spiritual what restore that brother with a spirit of meekness considering what yourselves in other words, lest you also fall into those things. In other words, treat people like you would want to be treated. In the church, oftentimes we say this, grace for me, none for thee. Grace for me, law for you. But whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also what? Reap. And if we want to receive the grace of God, we must be willing to extend the grace of God. If we want restoration, we must be willing to what? Give restoration for whatever a man what? Soweth that shall he also reap. He says that we were the children of disobedience. And this is what I like about it. If you go to the second part of verse 3, it says, And the mind, and were by children of wrath in the body and the mind, like the rest of mankind. In other words, not only did you miss the mark in what you did, but your thought life was all wrong. 
That's why Paul said that you have to renew your mind because sometimes we get high on our horse because we don't drink, chew, smoke, or live with those that do, and we don't commit all what we call the big sins. But the problem is that God doesn't just look at those sins. He's looking on the inside. He knows the negative thoughts. He knows the judgmental thoughts. He knows the unforgiveness that's sitting in our heart that other people can't see. And so just because we don't have an outward sign of rebellion, sometimes in our heart there's an inward sign of rebellion. I remember uh, a story of a boy. His mother told him, you better sit down or I'm going to knock you down. He knock you out because he just wouldn't sit down. And that boy looked at her and he said, I'm sitting down on the outside. But I'm standing up in my heart. <laughs> in, in other words, what he meant was, I'll comply with what you tell me to apply. But inside, I'm rebelling. I'm doing it against my will. And that's the natural state that we were in. And so we have to re realize that God is rich in mercy because whatever fate we had, we deserved it. Somebody said we deserved it. Our natural desire, the desire of the body and the mind, the sin nature not only govern our sinful action, but our sinful thought patterns. And there was no discipline of the body, of the mind, so there was no what? Hope. Paul is setting the stage to let you know that no matter how good you were, you were hopeless. You could not save what? Yourself. Even when you wasn't doing bad because you couldn't do bad, a lot of times I would look and I'd tell my mama, I said, you know, and my mama was older, and I said, mama, sister so-and-so just lives a godly life. She's a godly lady. And mama said, no, she ain't godly. She's just old. She can't do what she used to do. <laughs> Sometimes time will make us live godly. <laughs> And so we have to be careful, not just of what we're committing outside, but what's on the what? Inside of us. Our inward appearance in our heart, we have to be very introspectful. But that is the first part of Ephesians, talking about what we were. Everybody say, what we were. Now we're going to talk about some fun stuff. Everybody say, what he did. Now that is exciting because as you can see from the condition of what we were, we really didn't deserve anything but death. We really didn't deserve anything but hell. We really didn't deserve anything but the grave. But number one, he did what? Everybody say that. He saved us. Number two, he gave us who were dead. He gave us what? Life. And then he raised us and changed our position. Let's look at verse four. Now I could stop right at verse four. And I could stop at two words, but God. Everybody say, but God. I love but because but is a conjunction that changes everything that was said before it. A lot of people say it like this. I don't mean to be negative, what? But if you say, I don't mean to be negative, but that means you're about to we what? But negative. If you say, I don't mean to be nosy, but that means you about to be nosy. And so what Paul is saying is that we were dead in our sins. We were dead in our trespasses. We had no life but God. That's enough to shout about right there. You could shut down and go home because the truth of the matter is that but God means that God canceled everything that was said before that. 
I remember in Romans chapter 12, uh, Romans chapter 1, rather, it, it, near the end, it talks about all the things that mankind did that were depraved. But then it goes up to Romans chapter 2, verses 1, and it starts to say, and I'm paraphrasing, I hope you don't get too haughty about these people that we were just talking about who were adulterous and slanders and murderers and all these things. Because he says such were what? Some of you. And Jesus even takes it to a different level. It's not just the commission, but he says, if you do it in your heart, it's as good as done. It's the same thing. But God, aren't you glad that even though that's not what you deserve, but God, that means God has intervened. Let's look at verse four. It says, but God being rich in mercy which means that he has a boundless mercy. He has an endless source of mercy. I'm so glad that I don't, have you ever been someplace and you're in a buffet line and you're going through the line and you want something, or you want a piece of chicken or, or something that you want and you can see you started to count the chicken up there and you know it's four or five people that's there and you're like, I hope everybody doesn't get everything before I get there. And you get there and you say, I'm almost there. I'm about to pick up this chicken. And then you see the person in front of you get two or three plates of food at one time and when you get there, it's all what? Gone. And you're disappointed because it's run out. But guess what? God never runs out of mercy. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. Why do they have to be new every morning? Because my sins are new every morning. Every morning I need mercy. Every morning he what? Supplies mercy. So that is an exciting thing. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. The love he had caused his mercy. It wasn't because we were so great. It was because he is love. God's rich mercy rescued us from ourselves. Somebody said, save me from myself. If we'll be honest, all of us need a little bit of saving from ourselves. All of us have some things, even if our soul is saved, that we have in habits and thought patterns that we just have kind of held on to. You know, what I call stinking thinking, things that we really aren't biblical, but we hold on to them like Linus. Everybody watched Charlie Brown before, and Linus has that little security blanket. And we, we have negative thoughts and patterns in our mind. I'm not going to call any out. But all of us, if we were introspective, we could be honest and know there are some things and thought patterns in our life that really need to go, be they from negativity be there from low self-esteem or not looking at yourself the way God looks at you or from being negative or judgmental or self-righteous or whatever the case may be, not having enough faith, not giving enough, not tithing en enough. And it's not about being enough because we just saw you couldn't be enough. But what I'm trying to get across is all of us have room for what? Improvement. Christ has saved us irregardless of who we were. We couldn't earn our salvation, but now that he has saved us, I'm getting ahead of ourselves, we are required to do some stuff. So despite the fact that we were dead in our sins, he saved us, he's raised us, he's changed our position. That is amazing. I, I, I remember a song when I was young, and they used to sing, I get joy when I think about what he's done for me. I get joy when I think about what he's done for me. All of us as believers should have an overabounding joy when we realize what we really deserve, but God intervened with his mercy. God who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. Aren't you glad that the Bible interprets itself? What Does that sound familiar? 
Romans 5 and 8, that God demonstrated his love towards us that while we were what? Yet sinners, he died for us. Our goodness was never the condition because we couldn't be good enough for God to save us. And I'm glad about that. That means that we are all on equal what? playing field. One of us can't look at the other. The fun, uh, funny, Paul would say in the body of Christ, he said, the foot can't say of the hand, I have no what? Need of you. So you mean I can be in the church a thousand years and this person comes in and they give their life to God and they've been on dope. And although I've been here a thousand years, we're on the same footing. Yes. No longevity in the kingdom. We do have an inheritance and rewards, but our salvation is the what? Same. It's bared out in, in a parable Jesus tells about a farmer as he's talking about the kingdom. A farmer goes out and he grabs some people from town and he says, come do some work for me and whatever is right, I'll what? Pay. And at the middle of the day or later on in the day, he goes out and he grabs some other people who doesn't work the whole day, but yet he still gives them a full day's wage. And the people are upset. They must be church people. And, they, and they're upset because I've done all this stuff. I've come to all the revivals. You mean I've been tithing and giving and doing all this stuff? And you're just going to let this person be on the same footing with you? And he says, basically, this is mine to give, and I do it how I what? want to. That's how the kingdom works, and I'm glad that's how the kingdom works because God is no respecter of what? Persons. He loves us all. But God, who is rich in his mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. Everybody say, I'm alive. You were dead, but thanks to Christ Jesus, you have a regenerated, a resurrected spirit. Now you are alive. Now that same spirit, Paul says, that raised Jesus from the dead, guess where that spirit lives? It lives on the inside of you. What is that spirit? That spirit is God himself. The Holy Spirit is God. It's part of the Godhead. So basically what God has done when you gave your life to Christ is he has come and taken up residence on the inside of what? You. Isn't that amazing that God would take his residence in us? We have this treasure. Paul's talked about the gospel in jars of clay. We're jars of clay. And although we're not worthy because of the blood of Jesus, we've been washed up, cleaned up, raised up, seated with God in the heavenlies. The original translation would say more closely. And not only are we that, but God has chosen to make his home in us. How dare you let the enemy tell you that, that you're not good enough? <laughs> Through Christ you are. How dare you let the enemy bring up your past and your failures and, and things like this? Because guess what? All have sinned. The gospel is available for all. You know why? Romans 3.23 said, all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. So God's grace is available to what? All. <laughs> He says, by grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated with him again. We see this again. Didn't we see this in chapter one? You've been seated with him in what, Brother Dave? Heavenly places. You have an eternal reward that is set there in the heavenlies. You have been seated with Christ. He has changed your position. He has changed your inheritance. This is a powerful thought. I don't know about you, but have you ever heard the phrase from rags to riches? 
This is the biblical version of from rags to riches. How do you know? Because the Bible says that all our righteousness is what? But as a filthy rag, our, 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 our righteousness is worth nothing to God. And God has literally through his blood taken us from rags to spiritual riches. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise for that. That's an exciting thing. He is literally, thank you, Holy Ghost, taking us from rags to riches. Not only does he talk about what we were and now what we are, but go to the third bullet point. I want to talk about that in just a second. But before we get there, I do want to look at one other thing. And it's important that we look at this because one of the verses that I'm about to talk to actually probably deserves its own Bible study just by itself. It is probably one of the most quoted Bible scriptures in the world. And it basically is on what our faith is raised and hinged upon. Verse 7 says, so that in the coming ages, most people don't even look at verse 7 uh, of Ephesians chapter 2, but it tells you why he did what he did. We want to know his motive, right? It says, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his kindness and grace towards us in Christ Jesus. In other words, that at the end of time, knowing what we know of where we should be, he did this because he will be glorified in all things. In all things, God will be glorified. That's why you don't have any part of your salvation to anything to do with it because God won't share his glory with what? Anyone else. You have absolutely nothing to do with your salvation. And God won't share his glory. Now, I want to get to verse 8. We've heard this so many times that we can probably quote it like the back of our hands, backwards and forwards. I want us to read verse 8 together. Read it together. Ready? Read. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. A gift is not something you earn. And the Bible actually interprets itself because Romans 6 and 23 says the wages of sin, what we were owed, what we were due, you work for wages is what? Death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal life. You get eternal life with Christ Jesus. He has seated you with heavenly places. And so this is an exciting thing for us to know that God has taken us and changed our position. I don't know about you, but that's exciting. That's exciting. I don't have to jump up and down. I don't have to scream, but just reading those words off of that page make me think of some things. He says this, this verse, like I said, deserves probably its own Bible study just alone. We are saved by grace alone. Everybody say grace alone. We're saved by grace alone. We don't, we don't deserve it. It's independent of our efforts. It's effort, our efforts are insufficient. There's nothing that we can do to pay our debt. When Jesus got ready to die on the cross, it loses a little bit of translation when we say it is finished. But in the, in the original, it says tetaloestai. And what tetaloestai literally means is that they had what was called debtor's prison. Nobody had a bad credit score back then. If your credit was bad, they put you in jail. <laughs> they put you straight in debtor's prison. But when you got ready to pay your debt and your debt was paid in full, they used an accounting term to say tetaloestai. And tetaloestai, they would hand you a sheet and that sheet would say, 
paid in full, which means that if anybody ever came back to you and tried to collect that debt again, there was no double jeopardy. You can look and give them this and say, my debt has been paid. You can't come after me for this anymore. And what Jesus is literally saying is it's paid in full. It's accomplished when the enemy tries. Have you ever had those thoughts even after you've been saved that the enemy tells you you're going to hell? You're not good enough to get in heaven. When he doesn't say, I know it, but tell the Lord, die. <laughs> it's paid in full. <laughs> it is finished. It is accomplished. I am not good enough on my own to get into heaven, but thank God for his grace and his riches in Christ Jesus that my debt has been paid, what? In full. I don't know about you, but I feel like shouting about that, that your debt is paid. You don't owe anybody anything. And when people come to you, the Bible says this, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. All things are passed away. Old things are passed away, Behold, all things come new. When people come to you and try to tell you about your past, I just tell them, I'm sorry, you must have me confused with somebody else. Because if anybody is being Christ, he's a new creature, and that person doesn't live here anymore. Christ has redeemed me. Christ has saved me. Christ has cleaned me up. Christ has put me back on a straight path, and I will not allow the world, I will not allow religiosity to pull me back down into condemnation. For the Bible says that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but walk after the Spirit. Don't you know that you're free today? Don't you know that you don't get what you deserve? Don't you know that the wages of sin were death? But don't you know this too, that Jesus has paid it all? Come ye who have no money, buy and eat. Jesus is saying, you don't need any money. You don't need any social status. You just need a sinful black soul. I can provide that. Anybody else? There was a theologian that said, the only thing that I had to do with my salvation is that I did the sinning. And I provided that, but thanks be unto God for his riches. Now he says it's by grace. I don't know if you know it, but you're favored. A lot of times we talk about favor, we think about a house, a car, money, a new job, those things. But grace literally means unmerited favor, which means favor that you do not deserve. You are the favorite of God. You have grace through grace, unmerited favor. You have been saved. It is the gift of God. He just gave you this gift. And he says not through works because he's not going to share his glory. He levels the playing field for everybody. Nobody gets a chance to boast. Somebody says, well, if I don't get to boast, and that's our American thought in our mind, if I don't get to boast about it, why, do, why even give? Why even show up? Why even do the right thing? If I don't get to brag about it and look good about it, that's, isn't that the American way? <laughs> that we're big about doing things because we want to feel like we're the biggest to do them sometimes. But this is important. No matter what your commission, we are all in the same condition and no one can boast. So let's look at verse 9 and verse 10. Verse 9 and verse 10 says what? Not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork. Now, it loses something in translation. When it says that we are God's handiwork, the Greek word for that is poema, 
Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's where we get our word poem from. In other words, we are God's expression or God's masterpiece. Did you know that you are God's masterpiece? It's amazing. I looked at something in building lately. I enjoy building. I enjoy woodworking. And sometimes even though I don't want to do work, Brother Dave, Brother Dave, no, sometimes there's work I just don't want to do. But when I finish doing it, we've been made in the image of the creator. And what the creator does, he has a habit of looking at things. The Bible says, and the earth was without form and void and darkness covered the face of the what? Deep. And he began to create something out of nothing, out of destruction and abyss and chaos and when he finished he looked back and said that's good <laughs> in other words look at what I did that's great he started complimenting himself and he threw sun and moon and stars in the sky and he said yeah that's, that, that's good too <laughs> and he said I, I, I could do a little bit better than that I, I'm gonna need some other stuff so since there's water here let me create some fish and some other things and I don't want stuff just for the fish let's let me create something that can be on the land too and I'm gonna create all sorts of things and after that I'm gonna turn around I'm not just gonna go by the sea and by the land I'm gonna create some birds that can even capture the sky and he looked at it and he said that's good and, and I could imagine God saying, you want me to show you something else? How about this? I got something better than this. I'm going to make these trees give their own seed. And all they got to do is produce their own seed. I can step back and they'll still grow. Have you ever noticed that you don't have to really plant grass? You can just put a dirt field out there. And after a while, what happens? Grass starts growing. That's, an, that's a, a, an attribute to the glory of God and his creation. He is a person that likes to take messed up things, something from nothing. He likes to take stray puppies home. And this stray puppy is glad that he does because he'll take what's messed up and he'll bless it and set it in the right order. Aren't you glad that God has done that for you? We are his poema. Put that verse back up. We are his masterpiece. And we were working not too long ago in the kitchen. And I'm, I'm getting close to getting finished with the kitchen. I'm around the corner getting close with the kitchen. When I looked at the kitchen, I really didn't want to do it. When I looked at all the stuff that was done, but we didn't have a choice. But what made it good is when I finished, I thought about how far we had brought it. What? From. Came from a long way, didn't it, Brother Dave? Brother Bob, it doesn't look like it used to look, does it? And, and what makes you excited about that is that it now looks almost like a masterpiece, not because of just what was done, but how it was done into comparison to how it began. And so what God is saying is that man was depraved, and by the first Adam, sin came into the world, and the first 18 probably chapters of Genesis are, not, are talking about the devolution of man, how man goes into a downward spiral of sin. And just like those cabinets, our soul had black mold and we were dead and black in sin. And then we weren't very good to look at. And then Jesus took us and this carpenter began to chisel a little bit here and chisel a little bit there and save the blackened soul. And now not only does he do that, but he begins to chisel little fine areas and little small areas. Even after he saved us, he says, I can make you look a little bit better. And sometimes it's uncomfortable for us. It's called pruning. We'll talk about that some Sunday morning where we don't like being pruned. But when we are pruned, it's healthy for us. And God is saying, you are my masterpiece. Let's read that together. And I want you to change in verse 10 the word I. I want you to say I am instead of we are. And see how that hits. Ready, read. For I am God's 
handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now we're juxtaposed with faith versus works. James says, show me your faith without works. He says, I'll show you my faith through my works. Now we just spent all this time, I spent all this time telling us that nothing we can do, no works could create our salvation. So why are we working? We are working because we are not saved by works. Everybody said we're not saved by works, but we're saved to works. Because we're saved, we work, and when we begin to work and live how God wants us to live, he, we begin to add more to the masterpiece. When we begin to share the love of Christ with other people, we add more to the masterpiece. God wants us not just to be stuck in the four walls, but he wants us to show his influence of the kingdom in our jobs, in our homes. We are his masterpiece. And that is important to know that we are his workers and his servants. Right here, I have this card. I've, I've had this card made. Haley designed this card. It's really cool. It, it's got millennials in mind. It's just a simple card. I call it a kindness card. It is not a unique idea, but it's something that is really good. Why do I have these cards? Because I want you to pray about these cards. Why? Because you have been saved to work. Everybody say what? To work. You may not be able to do the parking lot like the guys are going to do soon when Brother Dave gets together. You may not be able to come over and do other things, but you are saved to work in the kingdom. And what is the main work of a Christian worker? The Bible says, Jesus said this. He said that the harvest is what? Plentiful, but the what? Laborers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest that he sends what? Laborers. There is no retirement plan in the kingdom. You don't get to retire for the kingdom. I want you to pray about this. And what I want you to do, and this is the idea, that you take one of these kindness cards. And on the front, it just says Encounter Church. It has the church name, and it has the dates and times of the church and the website. And Haley's been working on the website. And for those of you who can't uh, do YouTube, now we've got Sermon.net. And you can go straight, if it works, all the way to the website and watch the church services straight from the website. You can use it on YouTube. They're creating podcasts. All different media. Well, you say, I don't use that media. Well, that part is not for you. It's for somebody else. It's for somebody that's coming. But we're making sure that we can get the gospel to everybody through every avenue what? Available. You can say, you know what? I don't know how to do any of that technology stuff, but if it's going to reach for the kingdom, I'm willing to give a little more. I'm willing to do a little more. I know it takes money to do that, so I'm going to sow more to do that. And it takes it here. And even for the millennial, it just says right underneath it, it says, you belong here. And right here is a little QR code, and everybody who has an iPhone or, or Android knows what that's for. You can take a picture of it, and it takes you straight to the website, uh, to the YouTube, and it lets you begin to look at sermons that are already pre-populated. So that even if you never come to this church, guess what will happen? You will have the influence of the kingdom. We are consistently working for God because we are called, what, to work. So what do I want you to pray about? Because... I don't want you to take these and just haphazardly throw them out to people and just throw them left and throw them right just to say I did it. Even if you don't feel led to take one, don't take it. But what I want you to do is I want you to pray about this card. And I want you to pray over this card. 
And when the Holy Spirit unctions you and touches your heart, that you find that person. It could be the person at the grocery store. It could be the person checking, out, checking you out at Walmart. I just want you to hand them this card. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to give them a long speech. Just say, this is for you. And right on the back it says, you belong here. I want you to pray about that the next time that you're out eating. Do something and show extreme generosity. Instead of just paying for your food, find a couple or somebody who's lonely if you don't have a lot of money and they're by themselves. Or find somebody or even a family if you feel like showing the love of God and walk to the waitress and say, hey, not only do I want to pay for my food, but I want to pay for theirs. Instead of handing them a check, hand them this. Wouldn't it be nice for them to pick up their food and know that their debt has been paid in full. Why would I do that? Because my debt is paid in full. You still have relevance. You're saved to work. Even something as simple as handing out a small little card can change somebody's life. Because Paul has told us in 2 Corinthians, or Ephesians rather, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, where we came from. We were dead, and somebody had to show us light. And God, who is rich in mercy, he's changed us. And because he's changed us, now we don't just sit on salvation and, and glory and having a good church service on Sundays or good teachings on Wednesday and get fat off of the word. No, he's called us to what? Work. Everybody said there is no such thing as retirement. How do I know that? Because I'm a certified retirement counselor and an investment advisor, and I can tell you the history of retirement. Retirement is a fairly new thing that didn't come around until probably about the early 19th century. People would work until they couldn't anymore, and then their families would take care of them uh, until they passed away. And they didn't even have 401ks until about 40 or 50 years ago. The idea of retirement is not a normal idea because God never made you to sit up and dry up. God called you for service. And even in your golden years, you can still serve the kingdom. You still have worth. You still have value. If it's not this kindness card, a simple prayer for something somebody's going through, a simple kind word, do you realize how many people are on the edge? And they don't feel like anybody cares about them. And just simply a call out of the blue or a text out of the blue. I was thinking about you today. I was praying for you today. How that can change their world. That we can share the love and the riches of Christ Jesus. Pray about this. We're going to talk about this more Sunday and you'll see these kindness cards. I want you to pray about it. This is not a haphazard. This is not a gimmick. This is seriously. The Bible says that in the book of Acts. That sometimes they would tear off pieces of Paul's clothing and give them and send them out to sick people. And healing would come. I want you to pray over this. This is a serious thing. This is not a gimmick. This is something where you want to do something to interact and share the love of God with somebody else. You can tell them, out, sweetie, I don't know anything about all this technology, but I'm sure you can figure out something to do. You belong here. God loves you. Just take this.
and you can be saved to service. I pray tonight as we get ready to close that something has been said that will spark your heart to make a difference, to do more for the kingdom of God, to show and extend that grace to other people that has been extended to yourself. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your richness and your mercies that are new every morning. And we pray in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that you touch. Somebody may be listening to this by Facebook or YouTube. Somebody may be listening to this across the website or archive or in a future podcast. But whatever the case may be, Lord, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you work in their heart and let them know that your rich grace has already paid their debt. And all they have to do is receive you by faith. You've already done the work. You've already given the grace. Now, God, help them to have the faith to receive you. And I pray and thank you for what's going to happen in this ministry and the ground that you're sowing and the things that you're working out behind the scenes. No ear has heard, no eye has seen what you've prepared. I give you thanks and praise for it. I pray for your healing mercies and grace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise in the place. We'll, we'll see you Sunday as we continue with our series, I Am. You're blessed in the city, blessed in the field, when you come and when you go. May God's blessings and peace be with you in Jesus' name. Amen.